Hi, everyone. I'm Cindy Mooring, the founder and executive chair of the Business Integrity Leadership Initiative at the Sam M. Walton College of Business. And this is The Biz, the Business Integrity School podcast. Here, we talk about applying ethics, integrity, and courageous leadership in business, education, and most importantly, your life today. I've had nearly 30 years of real world experience as a senior executive. So if you're looking for practical tips from a business pro who's been there, then this is the podcast for you. Welcome, let's get started. Hi, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of The Biz. The topic for this season is all things tech ethics related, and boy, do we have a great lineup for you this season. To start with, my first guest today is Tom Creeley. Hi, Tom. How are you? Hello, Cindy. How are you? I'm good. It's great to see you. Let me just tell you all, uh, although this will be published later, we're recording this on Veterans Day today, 11-11-21, when there couldn't be a more perfect day than today to record this session on tech ethics with Tom. Tom is actually a retired Navy chaplain. And so, Tom, happy Veterans Day to you, and thank you. Thank you for your service. Yeah. Pleasure to serve. And in Tom's career in the Navy, he was at sea, he did some shore tours, he was overseas and spent time in the Marine Corps as well. So he has a very varied experience there. And now on this end of his career, Tom is now the creator and director of the Ethics and Emerging Military Technology Graduate Certificate Program at the US Naval War College. And in this role, Tom works with the Joint Artificial Intelligence Center. He works with the Defense Innovation Board, the Cyber Solarium Commission, and the National Security Commission on Artificial Intelligence, among many other things. Tom Creeley was also an ethics advisor to DARPA, Project Cornucopia. He's also an affiliate of the John Research Group at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, and he is where he facilitated the creation of FoodSourceUSA.com, in response to mitigating food waste during COVID-19, which was super important. So we are just very fortunate to have you here with us today, Tom. And like I said, there couldn't be a better day to have this discussion with you. And I wondered if you might just start with sharing with our audience a little bit about your your background and how you got from being a Navy chaplain to now leading a graduate certification in tech ethics at the U.S. Naval War College. Okay. Yeah, back in the late 90s, uh, I got into a PhD program that was uh, in the humanities and focused on ethics of technology. I'd always had an interest in technology, even though I'm a philosopher uh, by trade, uh, through the years. And um, I would say it's more of a calling to go into that direction because this is a totally new discipline of ethics of technology it that is. has really come up in the last, uh, so I guess you could say it started in the 1950s after World War II as a result of the impact of technology during the conflict and um, in the industrial military complex started studying and researching, and it just became an addiction for me and uh, to continue it. So I did, I finished my PhD, uh, and which was on internet privacy for children at that time. Yeah. Um, and then I um, started teaching at the University of South Carolina, Georgia State, and Kennesaw State, but no one really wanted to hear about ethics of technology. 
And when I mentioned the word ethics of technology, and they would look at me like, what planet did you step off? Of? Yeah, I bet. Do with anything. Yeah. And so I finally got to the War College and invited to come up to be a part of the ethics program there. And um, I worked with the provost and he was a scientist and he liked the idea of the concept and uh, who was, um, so he said, go for it. And so I did even against some opposition of some people there um, because they were not familiar with this whole concept. Yeah. And so, it, you know, eventually it, uh, it, about three years ago, it started at six years ago, three years ago, it just has exploded. I bet. And with um, um, our involvement in a number of things, as you mentioned, the Artificial Intelligence um, uh, Commission, uh, which came out with its final report to the President and Congress uh, back in the spring. Um, and it has um, expanded beyond government and working now with uh, outside organizations and certainly, you know, like uh, University of Arkansas and other universities yeah. and wanting to know and also promoting this whole concept of ethics of technology. Yeah. So it's been fun. It's been a lot of work. And so we established the Ethics and Emerging Military Technology Graduate Certificate. And as of last week, we've had 39 people to complete the program. It is competitive. Um, it is above and beyond their master's degree at the Naval War College. Wow. And um, the topics we discuss in the program or they research as well as discuss are artificial intelligence, nano, neuro, bio, social media, data, you name it, anything that can be weaponized. Mm -hmm. um, and also we look at it from a humanitarian point of view of how technologies can help and assist in um, humanitarian efforts. Yeah. We have a whole humanitarian section at the Naval War College. Yeah. And one thing I think we probably ought to make clear for the audience is that you don't have to necessarily be in the Navy to attend the Naval War College. It okay. is, um, your program is open to um, mid-level and senior level um, diplomats in the, in the federal government and from the intelligence branches. And so there's a number of people now, I would imagine demand is just completely outstripping supply on this topic yeah. for you. So yeah. That's, it is. That's great. You know, the biggest problem we have is bandwidth and being yeah. able to take care of expanding the program. And so that's why it's selective and competitive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. 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 Well, let's dive into this topic here. And I want to I want to start with uh, um, a definition of technology from a chapter uh, in a book um, written by a guy named Ian Barber. And I'll let you tell everybody who that is. But the definition of technology, as he describes it, is uh, it's the application of organized knowledge to practical tasks to by ordered systems of people and machines. I think that last part's really super important, but so, so, so that's actually the definition of technology. And then he goes on uh, from there to it really espouse three different views of technology. And I'm really interested in Tom and in what your view is here and whether or not you agree with Ian, but let me just lay out what his three are that he discusses in this chapter. One, is that tech is seen by some people as being a liberator. So it's a source of higher living standards, arguably improved health, better communications, all of those things. Others, the second position is that tech is a threat. Uh, 
And so people of that persuasion um, believe that it leads to alienation from nature, from the environment, it leads to environmental destruction, the mechanization of human life and loss of human freedom. Then his third view is that he says some people see tech as an instrument of power, that technology is actually ambiguous and that it impact, its impacts vary according to the social context in which it is designed and used. And that's because it's both a product and a source of economic and political power. Mm-hmm. So now, not to give away the punchline, but, you know, and you can absolutely disagree with them, but Ian would say that it's the technology is that last one, I, I think, that it is a, an instrument of power. But what, do you, what I'm interested in your views, what do you think? Is technology a liberator, a threat, or an in, instrument of power? I think it is all three of those. Um, as a liberator, we certainly can have benefited from the, uh, the development of medical technology to cure diseases and to treat um, um, illnesses, uh, perform surgeries. Uh, it has certainly been important in cleaning our environment and using these technologies. Uh, so, and it's also, let's say, for instance, the internet, uh, which we're working mm-hmm. through right now, has given us this ability to be able to communicate and have this program, as well as communicate and connect with people around the world. And so that has given tremendous freedom to a lot of people um, who have been bound by, you know, their, uh, their particular geographic areas, uh, lack of communications. And, you know, the internet is pretty much free in a sense, if you look at it from that. And uh, so this has been a great equalizer in across the globe of people having a voice. Um, And so therefore it does provide liberation uh, for people in many other different ways that I have just described. And certainly as, you know, professors and uh, running uh, an ethics center like yourself, you know, being able to research has been tremendous power in uh, being able to um, write and think about the emerging topics that we have to deal with in and in technology as well. The second part is a threat. Um, It's a threat in the sense that this is so much distributed, and go back to also power, distributed power, that people all across have access to this. People are empowered by the technology that we see, particularly with um, the internet in particular. Also, but you have threats from uh, technology that people are using in artificial intelligence. You know, we look at technology as good or evil. Yeah. It depends upon the user mm-hmm. that uses it. Mm-hmm. Uh, use it for good or for the nefarious purposes. Yeah. Certainly artificial intelligence is important in uh, taking, for instance, the army has a, uh, about 555 no, million slides, pathology slides that they're digitizing in order to have disease prediction and uh, what led to diseases and tr- you know, how to treat. That's right. important for society. Sure but it is. At the same time, artificial intelligence can be used nefariously in order to hack into systems. Uh, for instance, uh, shutting down the uh, colonial pipeline here on the right. East Coast. Right. Um, which was quite dangerous, came within just a few hours of shutting the whole East Coast down. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's also indicative of power. 
But it's, the threats are there continuously. We see other hacking we see uh, that is occurring in businesses and organizations only daily basis. Our own personal bank accounts are at risk um, as a threat from technology. And then, you know, you have the bio. How so? Can you explain that one for the audience for just a minute? Our own bank accounts are, can be a threat for that technology can be a threat to our bank accounts. Is it because of the hacking in? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I have been a, a perfect example. My wife and I, uh, our account have been hacked numerous times and we've had to change our yeah. account numbers uh, yeah. numerous times and in, in yeah. even stolen money. Um, I mean, they are so good at the hacking. Yeah, uh, which uh, you have to stay on top of your personal business on a daily basis. Yeah, and maybe yeah. sometimes hourly basis. Yeah, uh, in order to protect yourself. You know, another threat as we have all witnessed with COVID nineteen, that mm -hmm. is a uh, biology biological uh, issue that we've had to deal with, and look how that has changed our lives, and and affected the economy, the yeah. supply chain uh, and many other factors that it has affected. So, you know, that those threats will continue to be there. Yeah. Um, and then it's a power. It's a power for people to use. It's distributed power for across the globe for other people to take advantage of. Look at the different groups of people through social media who are protesting and is causing social disruption in our country. And also, guess what? Our adversaries are seizing that power as well to use against us through these disruptive technologies mm -hmm. in what we call hybrid conflict. Mm -hmm. And so they are playing some of these uh, different ideological groups, political groups against one another. Yeah. So yeah. in the center, you have the United States and the uh, socioeconomic life moving and going on, the disruption, but yet on the outside, you have these players that are interjecting their viewpoints and manipulating and right. exploiting these opportunities. So yeah, yeah and so war war in the future is going to look very different than I think people's images of of soldiers on the front lines. You know, Civil yeah. War, World yeah. War One, World War Two. I mean, the world is advanced, and and so has the way. Um, uh, countries fight for power and dominance and uh, yeah and technology can be weaponized in that way so, so that brings me then to let's go back to the definition of technology that last phrase where it talks about um, technology is the application of organized knowledge to practical tasks by ordered systems of people and machines. Mm -hmm. Think that of people and machines is really where you start to get into some of these tech ethics issues. And so I'm just gonna throw out the question, what do you think it means to be human, um, moral, ethical in the age of technology? That's a big question, I know. Big question, and we could talk the rest of the week on this. <laughs> Yes, we could. Um, it, uh, yeah, what does it mean to be human in an age of technology is which we have to continuously consider every day that we do research in the mind-bending research in the Ethics and Emerging Military Technology Program. Technology and humanity are inextricably linked, combined, and we cannot separate ourselves from it. So we 
I don't know many people who suffer from uh, technophobia, the fear of technology. Mm -hmm. uh, almost everyone has some kind of device, uh, whether a phone, tablet, or computer. Yeah. But even though you're still controlled by government that has a lot of technology. But most of us are lovers of technology and we have technophilia. And so the technophilia is that we embrace the technology without examining and questioning the ethical implications of that particular technology. I think you're right, especially the younger generations. They just seem so yeah. anxious to just embrace it without really a lot of considerations. So, 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 so talk about that. About did you call it technophilia, where we just like yeah, the love of technology, the love of technology, the love of technology. Okay. Yeah. Now we'll say you know back it up in, in you know the professions of engineering and the medical profession. Uh -huh. They have medical ethics, bioethics, engineering ethics that have been in place for a long time. But when you look at the issues of social media, of platforms, uh, metaverse, as we talked about earlier, those are have come to fruition in use without and very little uh, question or examination or reflection on the ethical implications. What harm might it cause? Oh, right, right, right. So, yeah, I mean, so, you know, how, how quickly do we run out and get a new phone uh, or a new tablet as soon as it comes out? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. With the latest and greatest features, right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. So one thing that uh, uh, comes to my mind, uh, you mentioned medical and how it can be used for good in medical, but, you know, even in the medical field, it could be used for for ill intent as well. Um, what about biohacking? What what is that? Can you explain that? And um, how might that be used inappropriately? Yeah, biohacking is, in, a, in a very simple form is that it is uh, changing your diet and changing your exercise regimen in order to have a better health. It is human enhancement, human improvement. And um, I have a friend who uh, has cancer and his, his biohacking in for himself, a do-it-yourself, mm -hmm. is working quite well. Mm -hmm. And that's a good way, a positive way for biohacking. But I think the more problem, uh, greater problems that are occurring are the, are the people who have buy CRISPR gene technology kits off the shelf, off the internet for a few hundred dollars. And they set up experimental genetic splicing and hacking with these kits and inject these genetically modified genes into their body. Oh my. Can they create other than that? Mm -hmm. So, you know, and there's certainly questions about the whole issue with, you know, the COVID-19 uh, that we've experienced as well. It's certainly a threat. Then people who, and I recommend, you know, people look at the uh, film that came out a year ago, actually, called uh, Citizen Bio, and mm -hmm. I believe it's on YouTube um, okay. at this point in time. And it showed just regular people who have these kits doing genetic engineering in their basement, in their garage, a home with no sense or direction of ethics and wow. accountability. Um, you know, I've talked to some people about this and I said, well, they really don't have that technical expertise. And this is like four years ago, uh, a scientist who's really into this and uh, they're not that advanced to, to be able to create something that could be nefarious, that could be uh, harmful. Yet most recently, 
what I have read is that that has progressed and people's okay. skills are getting better and they have a, a, a concern of the risks that are being created by people who do not really have the skills and the accountability or the ethics to use such genetic um, engineering. Right, and I would imagine nation state uh, actors may may also um, be using that for yeah. nefarious purposes. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, without really considering the ethics of it. Yeah, nation states as well as uh, terrorists. Nintero, yeah, you're right, both. Yeah, which create huge national security implications for, yeah. for the country. So, you know, Facebook um, has been in the news so much lately, as have a, yeah. a lot of the other big tech companies. Um, but in fact, when one of their former directors of uh, monetization at Facebook, Tim Kendall, testified before Congress uh, last year in 2020, um, he just said that Facebook very quickly figured out uh, that extreme and incendiary content translated to unprecedented engagement and profits. Um, he also noted that internally they were aware that the social media services that he and others have built had really torn people apart with alarming speed and intensity. And so when I think about that and put you know, your lens and overlay on top of that, in terms of national security, and we talked a little bit about how social media is being used to not only tear us apart from the inside, but also by those outside that are, are tearing us apart. What do you think are some of these overarching moral and ethical impacts um, of social media being used in that way? Well, first of all, I look at the user and the information that is being collected you know, from each of us. Um, as someone asked uh, Jaron Lanier a few years ago, what are you going to give us? And he responded by, we're not giving you anything. You're the product, you are what we sell. And so every keystroke is recorded and analyzed and stored this data. And so they develop their algorithms based on what we see uh, online, what we type in, um, in social media, and therefore they target us. And this is all has a psychological aspect behind it. In particular, it's concerned for young people, for children who have addictions to the internet, uh, mm -hmm. as well as you know, us adults, we have you know, that propensity to pick up that, uh, yeah iPhone to see what that uh, ring was yeah. um, as well. And so this is a power. We go back to uh, Ian Barber's comments um, that is working behind the scenes of which we have no knowledge of. Mm -hmm. It is impacting and influencing people of all ages. And so um, that is a real concern. Um, you know, latest young girls and women have been affected by the whole sense of image right here on TikTok, and it's had some yeah. psychological effects. Yeah. Um, and so that is a concern. Um, again, that is in the local area. How does that affect families? How does that affect relationships uh, with one another? Yeah. And it's yeah. a power. I know um, Tristan Harris. Uh, who was um, um, a social media ethicist, um, produced The Social Dilemma, which yeah. is an excellent film to watch. Very good one. It talks about how it's specifically designed 
to be addictive. Right. Now, I would suggest people look at the Wall Street Journal's uh, the Facebook files, which have been going on for about four or five months now. Yeah. Um, and uh, it is an absolute astonishing uh, revelation of what they're pulling out of supporting human trafficking, supporting yeah, I know. <laughs> trafficking, uh, mm -hmm. supporting um, uh, uh, dictators and what they're doing. Mm -hmm. And yet they also have the issue of you know, censoring certain people here in the United States or language that they deem is not yeah. appropriate. I'll yeah. give you a good example of that. In uh, my ethics in the military, a multidisciplinary approach class, mm -hmm. we use um, Triumph of the Will, which is a film that was produced, a uh, propaganda film by Lenny Reifenstahl. She was probably the most prominent propagandist in modern history at that time of World War II in the Nazi regime. And it's a powerful film and it shows Hitler in a messianic um, depiction. YouTube has banned it. So I cannot access that film in order to show it in my class for discussion. Wow, even for educational purposes. Huh. Even for educational, yeah, it's no longer on YouTube. Wow, yeah. yeah. So, you know, one of my problems I have with this social media is, you know, we have this whole free playground that everybody can play on, but yet now we have people who are beginning to censor what is said and what is placed upon uh, social media. Mm -hmm. You know, the question I have is what ethical frameworks and what values are these people who are making the judgments viewing all of these through? Is it right. an ideological or is it truly based upon ethics? Right. Ontology, utilitarian virtue, justice and rights. Yes. And so yeah. I think there may be a small, a large gap there um, in the people's abilities and skills and knowledge in making that kind of judgment. Right. And to me, this is an issue and in, in lenses that you just described, the different ethical frameworks um, are are it, it, it are things that cut across, if you will, government, um, the nonprofit sector and the in the business sector. Everybody needs to be kind of pulling in the same direction with um, uh, preferably some high level general framework that um, is generally agreeable. Uh, Again, I do think it, it going back to Ann Barber, I do think that it may depend, it is somewhat agnostic and may depend on the particular use and the particular situation. But the point is stopping to think about it. You know, back to what you said, we have technophilia. Everybody's just really addicted to it and excited to have it. But how many people are really stopping to think at the beginning of the creation of it, um, the testing of it, the use of it and injecting these, you know, true, true ethical considerations? I do know some um, um, companies now are ha have formally given that that title, that position to individuals and are compensating them for that. Salesforce is one yeah. I know, you know, they have some tech ethics on on board. Microsoft is another one that I know does that. But that again is very new. 
I mean, yeah. it came from a place where, I mean, that's in the last three years, kind of when you said there was this explosion. And I mean, think about how long tech has been in our lives and how advanced it was up until three years ago when the, when the horse is already out of the barn, it's a little hard to put it back in. That's so, right. you know, even yeah. with Facebook started with really good intent and, and, you know, I'm not saying they, they don't necessarily have a good purpose and intent, but when it grows so fast, um, it can, it, without the proper processes, procedures and controls and monitoring in place, it, it, it can get, you know, technology. It's a great example of how it can just get beyond where we are and it's hard to put it back. And it's mind boggling to me that the whole tech ethics discussion wasn't really on anyone's mind until about three years ago. So, in fact, we do not have a gap between our ethics and technology. Instead, we have an abyss between our ethics and the exponentially increasing innovation of technology. Yeah. It, that abyss is getting wider and wider. Yeah. And that's why people say, you know, well, we need to make laws. We need to look at Section 230. Well, right. we may need to change Section 230. Uh, and that needs to be looked at. And what is, what is Section 230 just for the audience? Uh, Section 230 is a, I guess you could say a special uh, dispensation for big tech companies to do whatever they want. They're not considered a communications company where they have accountability and they have free reign to do whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, that needs to be changed, definitely, um, in order to rein in some of this power that they have. But it's going to take a concerted effort of ethics education, continuous education, right. uh, in order to, uh, to be able to grapple and, and do the mind-bending work of these ethical complexities, such as my students do in the uh, EEMT program. Mm -hmm. We can't wait upon Congress. As I say in my uh, seminars, you know, technology plus politicians equal disaster. <laughs> uh, well, plus laws and regulations, that's a slow, that's designed to be a, a little bit of a slower process, yeah. very deliberative, very thoughtful. Yeah. But meanwhile, you've got technology, which is changing at the speed of light, basically, yeah. you know, that fast. So this abyss that you talk about, uh, really, I would say what I hear you saying is it really can't be filled by laws and regulations, which will yeah. always lag. So the only way to sort of bridge, if you will, across that divide is with ethical considerations yeah. and business, military, yeah. government, yeah. not anybody who's who's developing it or using it actually proactively filling that void and hopefully being that bridge. Exactly. Um, and, and that requires a lot of work. Let's just take yeah. artificial intelligence um, in, in looking at the ethics of that. It requires testing and evaluation constantly in mm -hmm. order to be, keep up, up with the biases that that may produce. Right. Intentional or unintentional. Right. You don't know exactly what that black box, and that is the box where it did something, the AI did something, but we don't know how it did it. Right. But that it kind of deep, deep neural learning, deep neural which learning. is more exactly. than the human brain can even comprehend. Yeah, absolutely. Do you and think so, that's ethical? Um, well, it's where we are. Uh, and so we have to deal with where we are because it's, we can't, you know, take the horse back to the barn. It's right. already out uh, because it's proliferating uh, artificial intelligence, it's, you know, constantly uh, something new every day uh, that we see. So in, in, in this is what I call where you need ethical agility. Mm. 
and where you say, you know, maybe you see it strictly uh, technology as a power, a liberator, or as a threat, um, or you see it from a deontological view or utilitarian or virtue or justice or rights view, mm-hmm. you have to be, have the agility to move between these different ethical frameworks in order to examine it. Yeah, I agree. I have a tendency to be in one category. I'm pretty much a virtue ethicist, but you have, we have to train people, teach people to be able to take those different views and examine it through these different lenses right. in order, because it's, it's terribly complex. Right. Terribly complex. I mean, a, a simple way to explain that would be the self-driving cars, right? And if you take the utilitarian view, you make a you know, greater good, right? So if, if the question is kill one or kill five, um, how did you know the car would make the decision to kill the one? But is that the right decision? But if yeah. you don't think through it in each of those kind of sure. contexts and arrive at a solution, then it's not going to be a good one, right? right? The answer. Yeah. At the same time, AI is going to be used as a decision-making, uh, decision-making assist. Mm-hmm. So that it can help make those decisions with what we call ethical AI. Yeah. My good friend, Wendell Wallach, who is an expert on AI ethics, uh, thinks that, you know, the AI in the future will be more, uh, more moral than human beings. Really? Explain yeah. that one. Well, because we are driven by emotions. And I think we can see an example by the internet and social media uh, emotionally hijacking people because they don't think deeply. They are not discriminating about what they see, read, or believe. Right. And therefore, we emotivism becomes the driver. Emotivism is an ethic of emotions, and that it is the overdriving uh, emphasis over our cognitive abilities to rationally think about things. Interesting. Yeah. And so, because we allow that bit of emotion to come into a situation. Um, um, that it may be more ethical for the machine to make decisions. Huh. And, and this will also be used in military operations as well, because yeah. we are competing with the Chinese in the race for AI, along with uh, Russia, which as you know, Putin said, you know, whoever wins at AI conquers the world, paraphrase yeah. there. Um, but it is definitely a race. So you yeah. know, it becomes a mother necessity that we be competitive against uh, with other countries and uh, um, state actors as well as non-state actors as well. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's, yeah, we, it's, the work you're doing is vitally important to our national security and can't thank you enough for spreading the education to everyone who's, who's able to participate in your program. And I wish you just had more room for it. Um, but you know, you, one of the things that, that you and I've talked about before and, and, and you sent over is like this, um, you know, this t- timeline of history of technology and, you know, when it kind of started and where, and you can see the advances, right, over decades and decades and decades. But that cycle's getting faster, right, in terms of the, the technologies. And they're becoming more disruptive, I would say. Mm-hmm. And so... Um, in your class, do you do you model out and do you talk with the students about the potential disruptive technologies in the future and which ones that you've kind of looked at worry you the most? Well, certainly biology, um, the biological um, um, issues that are arising uh, uh, is a concern. One of my students who we just picked up a whole new cohort is uh, raised some questions for his paper and um, 
on blockchain technology and cryptocurrency. And he has raised questions in his proposal I read last week, which no one has researched at all. Oh, and wow. It is um, a, a really, you know, all of a sudden you think, oh, okay, but well, these are the three that, you know, you know, I really need to be concerned about. Now, all of a sudden, this blockchain technology and cryptocurrency comes up because there is now competition to have a dominant cryptocurrency. Yeah, there is. Global. And, mm -hmm. and so his, his questions, and the problem is who, you know, finding another expert who can help answer these questions to help explore it, because this will definitely be good input for national security policy mm -hmm. when the paper is complete. And he mm -hmm. is uh, with the military. Um, uh, but I mean, he's a way out there thinker. And see, if we do a futurizing exercise, how do we look at the future of the disruptive, the absurd, this black swans? And this is out of the normal patterns of, of trends. and Right. Well, right. I mean, those are what are going to get us, right? We have to kind of get in the mind of an adversary mm -hmm. to see what these risks are. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And model that out. Wow. Yeah. How interesting. Yeah. Well, Tom, this has been just a fascinating conversation. I do think we could talk about this for at least a week and probably never stop, but um, I, I think we'll have to leave it there. Let me ask you one last question for audience members that may want to go a little bit deeper on the topic. In addition to what you've already mentioned, some good documentaries and, and movies out there, is there are there any, any other resources, any books you might want to recommend that you've read recently, or maybe a good podcast series on the topic or a good paper? Um, anything that you want to call out? Well, uh, P.W. Singer's, uh, Peter Singer's uh, Like War and Burn-In are very good. Uh, like War is about the power of social media. It's threat to the United States and to the globe uh, because it becomes a sense of very, uh, uh, it's weaponized and has global power. And then also Burn-In is his novel about robotics that is, um, is futuristic, but yet it is today. Mm. A little bit of both, and it is a gripping novel. Uh, and that gives you an insight of where we are and where we're headed on both yeah. topics. Another one I would recommend is uh, Yuval Noah Harari's uh, Homo Deus, Land of God. And he predicts in the latter part, it's a history of the future. And he says, we're moving from surveillance to data valence. And the new religion mm. is dataism. Dataism means that only data matters. Your yeah. personality, your spirit does not matter. It is only oh. what is analyzed, assimilated, and put together that gives a picture of you as the new religion of dataism. And this is quite in, interesting as uh, and enlightening if you want to look at uh, what he has written. He is an Israeli uh, professor uh, and advisor on strategy to the Israeli um, military services. Okay. Wow. Those sound like great resources. And, and, and we'll have to leave it there and ponder this question about dataism and how that intersects with um, how to be human in the age of technology. Yeah. Well, know? basically you, use your, you lose your humanity mm -hmm. and because you will design and your own destiny by what you type into your keyboard, by all the data that's collected upon on you through government and through medical and any other 
data collection, you know, and it begs the question of what does need to be collected and what should not be collected. Right. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. Wow. Fascinating conversation. Big questions. Um, not ones that we can solve today, but it is a continuous journey of education. So I appreciate you being on that journey with us, quite frankly, leading the way um, and participating in this podcast uh, series with me today. And thank you again for your service on this fantastic Veterans Day. Yes. Thank you, Cindy. I appreciate it very much. It's been a pleasure to be here. All right. Okay. Awesome. Thanks, Tom. Okay. Thanks, Cindy. Thanks for listening to today's episode of The Biz, The Business Integrity School. You can find us on YouTube, Google, SoundCloud, iTunes, or wherever you find your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and rate us. And you can find us by searching The Biz. That's one word, T-H-E-B-I-S, which stands for The Business Integrity School. Tune in next time for more practical tips from a pro.